You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Psalm 13. The choir master, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank You for Your word and we ask God that You would come and speak to us through the preaching of Your word. Father, I recognize and I know that Uh, It is an immense privilege to preach Your Word as a sinful and broken and imperfect man. And yet, You do this work of grace each and every time. Where You take imperfect people and You speak through the perfection of Your Word into the broken places, the wounded places, the hurting places, the rebellious places, the hardened places, the dark places of our hearts. And we ask that You would come and do that once again that You would help each of us to hear from Your Word, that You would give us Your Spirit this morning, that You would illuminate places of our hearts that need to hear from You. Father, I pray that You would do that. Trust You to do that work. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. You may be seated. You know, as I uh, studied this psalm uh, throughout this week, and I tried to envision David as he penned these words. Um, I envisioned a man um, who feels like he's at the end of his rope, right? When you read these words, isn't that kind of the picture you get? He's a man who's kind of at the end of his rope. He's basically had enough. He feels alone and he thinks that God has abandoned him. He wonders, I think, if his enemies are going to get the last laugh, right? Almost as though um, David is having a really hard time uh, seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. You know what that's like when you're in that season of life where everything seems dark and you're just not seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. You don't know if you're going to get through this. I'm assuming we've all faced some of those seasons in life. Seasons of complete darkness. Um, or maybe you know how long this is going to last. Uh, where you're wondering if this season is ever going to end. I think whether you've uh, lived with the anguish and the horror of watching what's been going on around us in this world um, just here in 2020, or whether you've been forced to basically stand helplessly on the sidelines maybe as a loved one derails his or her life, or maybe you've 
face some kind of uncontrollable circumstance like sickness or poverty or, or death. Um, regardless of what it's been, I imagine that every one of us in this room has faced a season uh, of, of deep anguish over something, right? What, what is that season for you? Is that season now for you? Like, where is it in your life right now where you're kind of crying out to the Lord and you're asking the Lord, how long is it going to be this way? Psalm 13 um, appears to be a psalm of anguish. I want you to think about this word anguish with me just for a minute. Think about this word anguish. Uh, to be in anguish is to be deeply depressed or deeply affected or afflicted, right? Affected by something to the extent that you are depressed, sad, afflicted. It's to be full of sadness. It's to be full of despair. It's a picture of not even being able to lift your head up. Anguish. David wrote these words of this psalm, most likely during a season of his life when he was uh, running for his life, either from a man named King Saul, who was very much a father figure to him, or uh, he's running from a man named Absalom, who is his very own son. Now, I can't imagine uh, what it would be like to live with that kind of anguish, to live with that kind of fear, that kind of depression, that kind of affliction of being hunted by a bloodthirsty father or a murderous son. I don't know what that's like. Um, some of you may have experienced uh, the brokenness of a family where maybe this feels somewhat familiar to you. But I can't imagine, here's what I can imagine, that I, I'm hoping you can imagine with me, is that if I, or if you, were living under these kinds of circumstances, I would imagine that you and I would probably be pretty shook up over it, right? I would probably kind of dominate and control bits and portions of our thinking, our lives. I don't think in a season like this, I don't think that you or I would be asking uh, insignificant, fluffy questions, right? Like, I think all the insignificant, fluffy questions that we worry about, like, who's going to become president next? That's important, don't hear me wrong, but that becomes really fluffy in a situation like this. It becomes insignificant. Why? Because it's not an eternal question, right? That's a momentary question. I would imagine if we were living under circumstances like this or we're asking how long, O oh Lord, or we're dealing with the anguish of life that I would imagine that my prayer life would change too. It would probably look a whole lot different than it does right now. I would also think that the things that I would find hope in, that I would find joy in, that those things would have to be things of actual eternal substance if, I was going to make it through that season intact and thriving. Uh, this is basically what David does in this psalm. This is what you see. The first thing you see is that David asks God unfiltered questions. Asks unfiltered questions. He asks some really honest questions. Look at what he asks in verses 1 through 2. He says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? That's an unfiltered question, isn't it? 
it kind of it kind of strips away all the like the kind of the perfect kind of sanctified Christianese that we learn how to talk, and it gets down to what's real. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? I mean, think about the oomph behind that kind of a question. How long I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day, not just in moments of the day, but all the day, David feels like this. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? I think we would agree that the questions don't really get any more real than this, do they? How long will this last, God? Have you forgotten me? Are you, are you hiding from me? How long am I going to feel alone and depressed? When is this going to change? How, how long will I feel like my enemy has defeated me? Here's the thing. I think that somewhere deep down inside the recesses of our souls, even if we don't verbalize it with our words because we're too prim and proper, I think somewhere deep down inside, we have a tendency to ask filtered questions when we are in a crisis. Doesn't a crisis cause that to happen inside of you? When your longtime friend betrays you or hurts you? When your finances are upside down? When your child dies? When your spouse has an affair? When your child rebels? When you recognize that that old addiction that you had really isn't quite yet beat? When your boss lays you off for no apparent reason? When the doctor diagnoses a terminal illness, right? right? When, when chaos erupts, when, when violence and anarchy erupt, like we've been seeing all over the world, really? When, when people of every color, and not insignificantly, but people of color also, are murdered senselessly on our TV screens? Like these are times of crisis, I think, when we begin to ask unfiltered questions. The question, though, is, is do you have the courage to verbalize that and not just try to hide it and stuff it? What are the unfiltered questions that you've been asking deep down inside of you that you need to verbalize? What are those unfiltered questions? You may have been trying to placate or cover up or put a Band-Aid on. What are the unfiltered questions of your soul right now? And where are you going to go to find the answers to those questions? Well, here's where David goes. David goes to the Lord in prayer. The second thing we see in the text. He goes to the Lord in prayer in verses 3 and 4. What does he do? David cries out to God in prayer when he says this. He says, consider. It basically means, look, God, look. Consider and answer me. Oh, Lord, my God, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Will you read these words? I don't know if you can feel the sense of them. And I don't know when you have experienced a season like this. But this, this is a desperate prayer. 
It's a desperate prayer from the heart of a man that is filled with absolute anguish. He's saying, Lord, please answer me. Lord, please sustain my life. Lord, please don't let my enemy be victorious over me. Please don't let death have the final word. It's almost as though when you're reading this, you get the sense that maybe David's endurance in this season is wearing thin like an old set of brake pads on an old car. Wearing thin. But what David does is he moves out of the darkness that he finds himself in. And he calls upon the God who seems to have abandoned him. Think about that. He calls upon the God who seems to have abandoned him. He feels that way, and yet he calls upon God. Like, really, honestly, when you think about this, it can be really tempting. Really tempting in seasons of anguish, seasons of difficulty. It can be tempting to just shrink away from pursuing God. When, when, you, when you begin to think that maybe God has abandoned you, that you're all alone, that He's nowhere in the midst of this, it can be easy to just shrink away. Especially when it seems to be like there's no answer to my unfiltered questions. It seems easier to move away from the point of confusion and pain rather than to lean into confusion and pain. This, this moment for David is a moment of confusion and pain. He believes that God is, has been absent from his suffering. In fact, I think you could go so far to say that David almost feels like in the midst of his suffering, God has somehow heaped suffering upon his suffering. Ever feel that way? What David does is he calls out to God in prayer in the midst of that confusion and that pain. He asks God to look upon his condition, to keep his eyes open, to keep him alive and to ensure him that his worst enemy, who's, who do you think David's worst enemy is in this passage? Death. Death is his worst enemy. And he wants to make sure that God ensures that death does not get the final word. I was speaking with my cousin this last week about his mom, my aunt. Um, at this moment, this time, she's in her last few days of life. She's been on hospice now for a little bit. My cousin reminded me that there's one enemy. Actually, he said two enemies, but the more we talked about it, I think he agreed. One enemy. He thought there were two enemies, taxes and death that you can't outrun, but the reality is you probably could outrun taxes if you die soon enough. I don't know. <laughs> But there is definitely one enemy that none of us can outrun, right? That enemy is death. Um, comes a point in time in life for all, for all people that <coughs> we're going to die. Uh, death comes for every one of us, whether it's our own death at some point, or the death of a child, or the death of a relative, the death of an old friend. Death comes for all of us. There's a point for every person a time to die. Some have even said that the moment that you are born, you're dying, which is interesting. From the moment that you're born, you're headed towards death. And the question really becomes, I think, in the midst of this, 
is how do you stand and how do you face our old enemy, death? This one enemy that we can't escape completely. How do you face that enemy with any kind of confidence? Real confidence. What's going to keep uh, our knees from buckling under the weight of that pain and that confusion and that fear of death? Well, David, David finds confidence in God. It's the third thing that we see in the text. Finds confidence in God in verses 5 through 6. In these verses, David proclaims that his confidence simply is in God. Look at what he says. He says, I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. See, in these verses, David finds his confidence in God alone. David knows this. David knows that God does not forget us. David knows that, that God died from us, that God does not abandon us, that God does not forsake us. And check this out. I wrote this line um, long, long before we gathered here, right? And, and uh, I have nothing to do with what Chris says when he gets up here. I don't even have anything to do with the schedule of when our MCs do what they do. But Chris did such a good job earlier talking about how we are adopted by a good and loving father who pursued us and chose us, right? And, and wooed us and drew us to him. Here's the thing that David knows. David knows that God does not make orphans out of his adopted children. Like, doesn't that, like, at some level set you free for a moment? To know that God never makes orphans out of his adopted children. If he's adopted you and you belong to him, you belong to him. God doesn't lose those who belong to him. Otherwise, his work of salvation in your life was incomplete and not good enough. And it was based on something other than his power to save you, sustain you, and keep you. I wouldn't want to trust in any other kind of God than that kind of God. This is the God that David finds confidence in. The God who does not make orphans out of adopted children. Here's the thing. A confident kind of a joy like David has here, it comes from trusting in God's unfailing love. Not his reckless love. <laughs> there. His steadfast love. His unfailing love. That's the kind of love that David trusts in. Confident joy for David comes from hope. Hoping in what? Hoping in God's complete salvation. David didn't trust in his own ability to complete the salvation that God did in him. David trusted in God's ability to save him completely. God completes the work that he begins. God doesn't save you and then go, hey, you need to complete the work now. And by the way, if you don't work hard enough, you ain't saved no more. That, that's not the way it works. Like, you do a simple study of salvation throughout the scriptures from beginning to end, you find that that's a work of God. It's not God's work plus my work when it comes to sanctification. Or when it comes to salvation. Now, when it comes to sanctification, that's a different story. Okay? So salvation, the way that you get saved, that's God's work. Sanctification, us walking holy, that takes our effort. 
Um, confident joy for David comes from hoping in God's complete salvation. Confident joy for David also comes from singing of God's immeasurable generosity. I don't know about you, but in, in my deepest, darkest seasons where I'm asking, how long, O oh Lord? When's this, when's this going to be over? How long is it going to last? Um, when I turn on music that I can sing to, the scenes of the goodness and the graciousness and the kindness and the patience of God, something shifts in my heart as I begin to sing along. Now, for some of you, that might mean you need to turn on K-Love or My Bridge Radio. For some of that, for some of you, that means you need to turn on some good heavy metal Christian. Oh, Lord, if there can be such a thing, right? <laughs> we have that conversation another time. I don't care what genre of music you listen to, but if they're singing about Jesus and you turn that on, uh, you'd be hard-pressed to prove to me that what doesn't happen inside of you is a bolster of confidence. Love riding my bike. There, need to get a good bike illustration in here because I haven't done one yet. Love riding my bike, right? One of my favorite things about riding my bike is that I get to put some headphones in and I get to listen to music for an hour straight, two hours straight, however long I'm on that bike and riding. And what that does is it gets me away from everything that's happening in the world. It gets me out of that mindset where, like when David says, hey, uh, how long must I take counsel in my own soul, right? It's a picture of David being really kind of introverted and introspective. But as I maybe take that ride and get away and listen to that music, something happens in my soul. Confidence begins to set in. Joy begins to set in because I'm feeding my soul through that music. So I just ask you, like, what have you been feeding your soul lately when it comes to the music and the media you put into you? Confident joy comes from singing of God's immeasurable generosity. I want you to think about this for a minute. I want you to think about uh, the confidence that you would have. Think about the confidence you would have if all of your wildest dreams, now I don't know what your wildest dreams are, but if we had TV screens in here today, that we do have TV screens in here, if we could pop all of your wildest dreams up on those TV screens and let them just flash through, uh, randomly, so that everybody else can see what your wildest dreams are. How interesting would that be, right? To find out what are your wildest dreams. Uh, well, imagine the kind of confidence that you would have if all of your wildest dreams were guaranteed to come true, right? If you have to sit there and kind of wonder, like, hey, will this ever happen? Imagine if there was a guarantee on those wildest dreams. So the reality is this, all of your wildest dreams on this earth, they're earthly dreams. And all of those earthly dreams aren't necessarily bad in any way. But those earthly dreams, all they are is invitations. They're like invitations to the graduation party, right? Or the birthday party. Those invitations are our wildest dreams this side of heaven. They're just invitations to the greatest dream that is guaranteed to never disappoint us. Namely this, that in Christ Jesus, our eternal destiny is certain. Our, our eternal destiny is guaranteed if we trusted in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. You think about that. It's guaranteed. 
You've got nothing to worry about, nothing to be anxious about, nothing to be afraid of. See, trusting in Jesus as our Savior, think about this, trusting in Jesus as your Savior, that's actually really easy. I know you might be like, heresy. Just let me finish the sentence. Trusting in Jesus as your Savior, that's, that's an easy part. That's why so many people in America think they're Christian. Because they're born in a Christian nation, right? So many people think that they are Christians because they think they've trusted in a Savior. And really it's easy because in that moment, what do you get? Oh, well, it's a get-out-of-hell-free card, isn't it? I mean, who doesn't want that? Yeah, I'll say the prayer. Put me on the list. Do some follow-up. Get me in a small group. I might come to church three or four times a year, right? So the whole salvation piece, at least as far as we've termed it in America, um, seems pretty easy. But here's the thing. Trusting in Jesus, not merely as our Savior, but trusting Him as our Lord, that's a lot harder because here's what that When you trust Jesus, not only as your Savior to get you out of hell, so to speak, obviously I'm being sarcastic. I spent a lot of time here. But when you trust in Him as more than just your Savior, and you trust Him as your Lord, your sovereign Lord, that ultimately means that you trust Him when the answers to your unfiltered questions aren't so black and white. Trust Him. In conclusion, um, I want to encourage you, after maybe having invoked your thinking, I want to encourage you, I want to remind you of this. I want to remind you that when all hell breaks loose, when the stench of death knocks on your door, when the fog of confusion overtakes your soul, when loneliness looms heavy in your heart, when fear fills your mind, when pain uh, permeates when depression comes and digs its claws into your thoughts and your emotions. In those moments, you can take your questions to the Lord in prayer. And in those moments, you can find confidence. You might not get all of your questions answered, but you can find confidence in what? In God's unfailing love. You can find confidence in God's complete salvation. You can find confidence in God's immeasurable generosity. Here's the thing, guys. God's love never fails. He doesn't love you any more tomorrow when you do better than he did today. He doesn't love you any less in the next few moments when you do worse either. His love is unfailing and it's complete. His offer of salvation, it's a work of completion, not inadequacy. The work that he began in you, he didn't begin to go, oh, well, that work's not so good anymore. I don't think I love you very much. You better go pray that center prayer again, right? No. At the end of the day, his work of salvation in you is a work of completion. His generosity, of God's immeasurable generosity. This means you can't measure it. Okay? When David says in Psalm 119 that, man, I love you and your law more than all riches, that means every penny, every dime, everything you could own, ever. And David says, I love you, God, more than all of those things. What that is is a reflection of God's immeasurable love towards him. David had experienced that. You think of a man who had been a sinner badly, right? Dude sleeps with a girl next door, kills her husband. I mean, there's so many things that David did that were sinful, and yet he knows God's immeasurable love towards him. Try to remember that at the cross, Jesus 
in all of his perfection, he faced down our three greatest enemies, Satan, sin, and death. Jesus felt the immense fear. Jesus felt the immense loneliness. He felt the rejection that, that comes from our greatest enemies. And what did Jesus do on that cross? You think about this. What did he do? On that cross, he called out to our Heavenly Father in his moment of utter darkness, and yet Jesus never sinned. It's perfect in his walk. You think about Jesus, too, man. He, he asked unfiltered questions. Remember the question Jesus asked? Father, why have you forsaken me? Man, if Jesus can speak this way to his Father, then why can't we, right? Why have you forsaken me? And then, also, Jesus also utters like a, a really profound statement of trust. Remember the statement of trust that Jesus made on that cross? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Right? That's a profound statement of confident trust. The truth here, the thing that I'm trying to point out is this. Jesus is a much better David. All David does is give us a taste of who Jesus is. And let's not forget that Jesus comes out of the same bloodline as David to be our Savior. So Jesus is a better David. In Jesus' work at the cross, we find this ultimate source for all of our unfiltered questions. At Jesus at the cross, all of our deepest prayers, all of our confident joy, we find all of that at the cross. See, at the cross, Jesus displayed His unfailing love for us. You think about the empty tomb. In the empty tomb, in the resurrection of Jesus, God displayed His complete and perfect victory over our enemies, Satan, sin, and death. Do we struggle with those now? Yeah, because we're not in heaven yet. We're not home yet. We're aliens here. In Christ's promised return. Think about that. In His promised return, what do we have? In His promised return, we have a certain hope, a certain joy, the kind of joy, the kind of hope that is certain. It's assured, right? Got that tatted on my arm, I think. Hebrews 6.19. Assure and steadfast anchor for the soul. Who is that? Jesus. He is our sure and steadfast anchor for our soul, when we begin to ask those questions, how long is this going to last, right? How long am I going to live in fear over my children who don't follow the Lord? How long am I going to deal with the anguish of losing a child? How long am I going to deal with the pain of an unfaithful spouse? How long am I going to deal with the temptation of that old addiction, right? How long am I going to face down Satan, sin, and the grave? When you're asking those questions, the anchor for your soul certainly is Jesus. So when you begin to ask those unfiltered questions, when you go to the Lord in prayer during a crisis, what I want to encourage you to do and remember is that you can trust in God's unfailing love for you as you find hope in as you also sing songs of joy in light of His immeasurable generosity towards you, 
And here's the thing. All of this takes place. All of this happens at the foot of a bloody cross where Jesus gave his life in a horrific way for you. When he died on that cross, he had pictures in his pocket. Jesus didn't die on a cross for unnamed people with no faces. When Jesus went to that cross, he knew exactly the sheep that he was pursuing. Because it's personal. And when he went there and his blood was shed for you, it was horrific. It was horrific. And yet at the same time, there's this tension as we look at that horrific picture of Jesus at the cross and we find our source of our greatest joy. (coughs) All of this that I've been talking about happens at the foot of the bloody cross in the doorway of an empty tomb as you hold on to the hope of the promise of heaven. I pray that that's where God would lead you as we close our time together today. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that uh, we are able to come to you with our unfiltered questions, our hard questions, the questions that maybe we're afraid to ask. We thank you that your shoulders are big enough for that and that you don't hide out in the back room look at us with this disapproving stare like somehow we are too inadequate or somehow we're taking up too much of your time or somehow you don't have enough for us. We thank you that you are faithful, that you are good, and that you are loving. We thank you for the picture of your sacrifice at the cross. Well, Father, I ask over the next moments as we close that you would lead us there by the power of Your Spirit. That You would lead us to the foot of that bloody cross. That You would remind us of the hope that we have because the tomb is empty. That You would fill our hearts with confidence and strength to endure another day. Lord, we love You. In Jesus' name, Amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well. A gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.